Welcome to Wellness Realness with Christina Rice. I'm your host, Christina. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner, holistic health coach, Reiki practitioner, and the creator of ChristinaRiceWellness.com, where you can find my blog, recipes, services, programs, and ebooks. In this podcast, I'll be discussing all things related to health and wellness, and I promise to always keep it very real. Remember my disclaimer, the information in this podcast is general health and nutrition advice and is not a replacement for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you'd like to submit a question or a topic for me to discuss, submit it on the podcast page at ChristinaRiceWellness.com. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating and a review on iTunes, and join our Facebook group, Wellness Wellness Podcast Tribe. Today's episode is so much fun. I'm covering so many topics with today's guest. I know you guys are going to absolutely love it, but before we hop into that, I want to tell you about something that I have been waiting to share with you guys that I've been so excited about, and that is the release of Ned's new Natural Cycle Collection. If you listen to this podcast or follow me on social media, you know I have been using Ned's Full Spectrum Hemp Oil for quite some time now, and it is the only CBD oil I will put into my body is the highest quality out there on the market. And I learned a while back that Rhett and Adrian, the co-founders of Ned, were working on this natural cycle collection. And I was so excited when I heard about it, especially because Ned's full spectrum hemp oil is something that as a practitioner, I recommend to so many clients to help with hormone balancing in addition to its positive effects on sleep and anxiety and inflammation. And Rhett and Adrian said, well, you know, we are actually focusing on something specifically for women to help them with their cycles. And I was so excited because this is a topic that comes up all the time. I feel like almost every woman I talk to needs help balancing our hormones, sometimes because of a larger root cause. Other times, just because look at the world we live in. There are so many hormone disruptors in our environment, in our food supply, and so many women are struggling with the different symptoms of hormones. Most notably around their periods. Periods should not be the absolute worst time of the month. A lot of women think that it's normal to have really painful, uncomfortable periods. And that's just not the case. But anyways, I got my hands on the Natural Cycle Collection before it was released because I wanted to make sure I could give it a shot and test it out. And I was so, so happy. And I mean, the Ned guys put so much work into all their products and that's really one of the things that makes this company stand out is just the care, the quality, everything that goes into it. You just won't find better products out there, but this really, really makes a difference and I'm so excited to be able to recommend this to you guys, to clients, to family, to friends. I'm just so impressed. So a little bit of the backstory behind this. First of all, the makers of this collection are women. They wanted to make sure a team of women were behind the Natural Cycle Collection. So the farmers are Sherry and Lynn, 
Annie's the botanist, Lauren's the artist, Kat is the aromatherapist, and Brittany's the curator. You can read all about their stories on Ned's website if you go to helloned.com. But it was really important to Rhett and Adrian that a strong group of women were behind these products. They're for female bodies, and women are behind the creation of this collection, which I absolutely love. So there are four products in this line. The first is the Hormone Balance Blend, and this is meant to help balance your hormones to make your cycle easier, just make sure you're in perfect sync with your cycle, but also to be used throughout the whole month. And this contains an infusion of organic and wildcrafted botanicals and 600 milligrams of premium CBD from, of course, the world's purest single-source full-spectrum hemp grown by the incredible Sherry and Lynn. This tincture contains balancing minerals, healing antioxidants, nourishing fatty acids, and revitalizing vitamins to optimize your hormonal health. And then there is the Period Ease Blend, which is another tincture, and this is specifically made to help ease any menstrual discomfort so your period is just a little bit easier or a lot easier. And this is made from an infusion of cacao, organic and wildcrafted botanicals, and 300 milligrams of premium CBD. Then there is the Period Soothe Salve, and this is also designed to help soothe any premenstrual discomfort. This is great to rub on your body around your period just to calm down any discomfort or pain. And this contains a mix of organic, wildcrafted botanicals, essential oils, and 200 milligrams of premium CBD. And then the fourth product in this line is the Hormone Energized Roll-On. So this is meant to energize your mind, your body, your spirit. This also has essential oils and 25 milligrams of premium CBD. And this roll-on contains natural aphrodisiacs and different oils that have been used in sacred rituals for a long time that are meant to help you channel your divine feminine. So really getting back into your femininity, your body, and all of these products work together to help balance out your hormones and make your period so much easier. So the way I use this is I take the Hormone Balance Blend every single day, that tincture, and I also use the Energize Roll-On every single day. And then around my period, specifically, I'll use the Period Ease Blend, that tincture, and the Period Soothe Salve as I need it. You can get this as a monthly kit or you can purchase the products individually. I recommend starting out with the monthly kit and then if you notice you go through some faster than others, you could replace individually. But all I can tell you is my last few periods have been the best periods of my life. Um, I My periods are usually very painful, really bad cramps. And I can help reduce that if I take certain supplements beforehand. And so when I was testing these out, I did not use my extra supplements. Um, I just wanted to see what these could do on their own. And also, I feel like everyone can just always use some extra hormone balancing. And I'm still in the first year after having got my period back after amenorrhea. So my hormones just always kind of need extra balancing. And, um, when using these products, my period, 
only lasted two to three days as opposed to a normal five to seven. I didn't have any cramps and I had way more energy than usual. I didn't feel like a total blob. I was just, I'm floored and I'm obsessed with these products. I highly, highly recommend them. And I just feel like so many of you listening would probably benefit because I know balancing your hormones is a really, really important part of improving your health that many of you are focusing on because this can manifest you know, in different ways, whether it be hormonal acne or how your hair and skin are looking, how your energy levels are, how your period is, how your body composition is, even your hunger signals, your gut health, if you're bloated, all goes back to hormones. And so I am obsessed with these products and so excited that Ned released them. And to top it all off, a portion of all proceeds from the Ned Hormones Collection is donated to Period, which is a global youth-run nonprofit that is fighting to end period poverty and period stigma through service, education, and advocacy. Period has addressed over 560,000 periods for menstruators in need and registered over 400 campus chapters in all 50 states and beyond. So the proceeds are going towards a really amazing cause. So if you want to uh, check out Ned's Natural Cycle Collection, I highly recommend you do. Or if you just want to check out their classic full-spectrum hemp oil, this is the best CBD in the market, never fails, then just go to helloned.com and you can use my code wellness, W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S for 15% off. Again, that's helloned.com and you can use my code wellness, W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S for 15% off. Speaking of strong, independent, amazing women, I'm so excited for you to hear today's episode with Karen Salmonson. Karen is a multi-best-selling author. She sold over 2 million copies of her books internationally. She has been profiled in the New York Times, Business Week, Chicago Tribune, the LA Times, Time Magazine, Elle, Marie Claire, Fast Company, and more. And she started out as a stressed out advertising senior VP and an award-winning designer. And she's turned into a healthy living expert, a best-selling author, and a longevity research geek. She has such an amazing story of leaving her successful career in the advertising industry and stepping out on her own as a writer. She also realized another dream when she had her first child at the age of 50. She has so many great life stories, so much wisdom. She's hilarious, cracks me up, and just so sweet. And I am really excited for you guys to hear more from her. And you can find her at notsalmon.com. It's kind of a, you know, play on words because her last name is Salmonson and everyone would call her Salmonson. So now her whole brand is Not Salmon. I love it. So that's notsalmon.com, N-O-T-S-A-L-M-O-N.com. And you can also find her on Instagram at notsalmon. I know you guys are going to love hearing from Karen. She's going to make you smile. I can guarantee it. So let's go ahead and hop into the interview. Let's get get into things because you have, you're a very interesting woman. I'm super impressed with all that you've done. And uh, you've done a lot, so maybe you can just start off by introducing yourself to my audience and telling them a little bit about what you do. 
Okay, sure. Um, so I am, I'm a best-selling author and, and a designer and won awards and I used to be in advertising and, um, I was doing well, but I just, I didn't like the politics. I joked that I could drink like a glass of water and have it spurt out the knife holes in my back because it was like, so, oh my God, it was, it was really, you know, very, a lot of aggressive and passive aggressive people in, in that business. So I quit to write books and, and that's what I've been doing now for, for a decade or two or three Tell me more about what was going on in advertising. Like, like what were people doing? That was so crazy. You want the dirt? You want the dirt? I want the dirty details. <laughs> I want all. I want the scoop. I'm supposed to be sitting here talking about positive things. Um, we can get there later. <laughs> we can get there later. Um, well, let's see. It was just I was young, and I was I and I I remember I. I was working with this this older gentleman just saw my potential and he chose me he was an art director and he chose me to work with him on a Haagen-Dazs ice cream campaign which was pretty fun cuz Haagen-Dazs was just coming out back then and we even got coupons for free ice cream. Wow. So, in fact, I remember I was at a store and I had like 20 coupons with me and I was getting my ice cream with a coupon and the person behind me was like, oh, you're getting that free. And then I just started handing out, I was like the ice cream fairy handing out <laughs> the ice cream. And I was very loved in that store thereafter. Um, but everybody wanted the haagen ice cream account. I don't know if it was for the coupons or because it was fun to work on. And I had a lot of people who were mad that he picked this young you know, young copywriter, and they were trying to steal the account from me. And um, yeah, so it was, and, but luckily, he was very um, protective of me. And he was a great guy. In fact, he was so great. I'm going to tell you his name. His name was um, Stu Pittman, Stu Pittman. And he said that if you said his name first, it was stupid man. He had a very <laughs> of humor so I will always remember that about him stupid man he said if you said his name fast and he was very protective of me while everybody was trying to steal that account from me but I maintained my my position so there's lots of things like that but that's like the most fast and amusing way I can describe it people trying to steal accounts yeah that's a lot of negative energy oh my gosh yeah yeah well but you've done I mean in, in terms of advertising, how do you come up with all these ideas? Like, have you always been someone who's super creative in that way? Yeah. I When I was a kid, <clears throat> I grew up with a dad who was a stockbroker, which is what it was called back then, and now they, I guess they call it financial advisor, and a mom who was an actress. And my mom was creative, and she was doing very well. And so I had a role model of a mom who was succeeding in a creative career. She was on a very popular television program that played regionally. Back then, that's how things were. Like there were literally only, I mean, I'm, you know, as we'll get to later is that I'm, I'm, I don't want to use the word old, but I'm advanced. <laughs> you know, I'm about to be 59 and I had a baby at 50 and, uh, you know, all of this. So age, forget age, but I was born a while ago. And back then, 
they had like ABC, NBC, and CBS. And my mom was on a TV show on CBS called The Gene London Show. And she played all these character parts like Shady Sadie, the jailbreak lady, and Countess Quigley, and Mrs. Winifred Throckmorton III, and a lot of wicked witches. And people were afraid to come to our house for Halloween because they'd be like, that's the house where the wicked witch lives. And um, then my, they'd ring the doorbell to get chocolate from us. And my, my mom would get on the speaker and do her wicked witch voice and wicked witch laugh and then all the kids would run away in fear and then we had all this extra chocolate around because of that because everybody would be afraid for the us to open the door so I grew up I grew up with a mom who was creative and I guess in the back of my mind I thought okay I have permission to do something creative and um and then I'd be up in my room writing and drawing and and uh and I always did have a passion for for things that were creative Okay, so I, I'm curious about. Okay, what did I read? You made up the cross. The what was the it? cross sandwich? Yeah, the cross sandwich. How did that come to you? It's a true story, and I mean, I I know people that know me from back then, and they know it. It's such a wacky story. In fact, Susan Rose is, is she's somebody from there, and she met. We met. We have a friend in common, and she said, "You know, Karen Salmonson named the Quiz Sandwich the Quiz Sandwich." So I have witnesses to it. They had an all agency competition for the name of back then. It was very newfangled. Um, and I submitted Quiz Sandwich, and it won, you know? So, but I don't make any extra, you know, I don't get a penny for every Quiz Sandwich sold. I just get to say to people that I named the Quiz Sandwich the Quiz Sandwich. Those are good bragging rights, though. Thank you. I wanted to name, when the Haagen-Dazs ice cream came out with um, ice cream bars, I wanted to name them Wunder Bars with a little um mm. For the you, but they didn't go for that one. So my naming of products began and ended with Quiz Sandwich. <laughs> well, I'm curious, like, does that just pop into your head or do you like have a brainstorming process or how do you get inspired? Things just come to me. I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I've just always been creative and kind of an outside of the box thinker type of person. And if everybody's zigging, then I want to zag. And if everybody's zagging, then I kind of want to zig. I've always been sort of like that. I love that. Well, and you've also worked like with so many different types of companies. I'm curious if you like a certain industry better than others, like like food, for example, or I know you work with some makeup companies. Um, you know, like is there yeah. something that you like the best? I did. I did a lot of work for a variety of beauty companies and I did do naming there, but it was more like for a lipstick name. Like I had well read like art, you know, R E D like, um, lipstick names and, and all kinds of things, names of different like skin creams. I worked for Avon and Revlon and L'Oreal. Um, I, I do like beauty companies. I like, I, you know, I, no, you know, it was fun to kind of bounce around and do different things. So I don't, you know, nowadays I do like, I do love finding products out there that have really great packaging. I'm a sucker for great packaging, great label design, great logos. I've, I've always been visual and verbal. So I, I love good packaging. I love it. Me too. I, I could be lured in to buy something just because the late, or I'll look at a restaurant and I'll be like, oh, that looks so good. And they're like, why? I'm like, the font. You yes. know, like, I, 
I'll look at the menu. I know I'm going to love why the font, you know, <laughs> look at that font. You know, I haven't even tasted the food yet. And I'm like already sold because I like their font, you know. <laughs> but it's true, though. I mean, the food could taste better if they have good aesthetics. It's all in the aesthetics. Just, right? Yeah. I know. It, I know on some level it's a little silly, but I think it does. But you know what? It might, being a psychological person, there might even be a truth to it. Because if you care about the details in one area, then you probably care about the details in all areas. Like the food probably is more meticulously prepared if if they bother to have a pretty font, like if they just slap a menu together, they might just slap the food in the kitchen and, you know, together. So, you know, the truth is in the details sometimes, you know? 100%. So tell me about the transition from working in advertising to becoming an author and doing that full time. Um, well, I was doing very well and I was definitely, you know, I was rising up. I was a senior VP creative director, like in my late twenties. And I kept threatening to quit. And my parents kept trying to talk me out of it saying, you're making so much money. If you quit to become an author, you're going to be broke, you know, like feeding me all these realistic. I mean, I can understand now that I'm a mom, I might be nervous for my child, but, um, I, I kept saying, well, you know, if I'm doing well in a business that I don't like, um, maybe whatever I'm doing in this business, if I apply it in something that I want, I'll do well there too. You know, in some ways, if I was doing badly, I would have stayed out of fear. Um, but I, and I also figured I was young enough that I was like allowed a coupon to mess up, you know? <laughs> so, um, so I quit and then I didn't tell my parents for a while, like not a long time, like a couple weeks, something like that. And then I told them. And then um, my first book was a novel that I wrote. I'd half finished it when I quit. So I had a sense like I can do this, you know, and then I, I freelanced a little bit while I finished off the rest of it. And and then my first published book is a novel that I wound up selling to um, St. Martin's Press and then um, and then selling it to Miramax to be a movie star Marissa Tomei. And I wrote the screenplay, but it wasn't greenlit, meaning it didn't get made into a movie. But then Miramax hired me to um, to do other things. They gave me a TV development deal. And they actually hired me to come up with movie names. Um, and uh, and so, you know, that that was another you know, when you when you're going to be 59, you can say a lot. I've done a lot of things. I guess. Yeah, I you have. Wait, wait, what movies did you name? Well, I, you know, I'm going to tell you, I don't think I was that good at movie names. I only <laughs> have one memory of this. I only have one. None of my titles got chosen, but I do remember this. And this is when I thought to myself, maybe I'm not meant to do movie names. They, they had a movie which they had internally titled Shakespeare in Love. Yeah. And I, I gave them a bunch of names and I wrote up in my report why Shakespeare in Love was such a stupid name. Like <laughs> I just thought it was such a dumb, nobody wants to see a movie with where Shakespeare in the, t- I was very adamant about this. And then they didn't give a darn what I said. And they came out and called it Shakespeare in Love and I'm waiting for it to flop. And it was a huge <laughs> success. And then I thought maybe I'm just not good at movie titles because <laughs> I didn't see that coming. I thought a movie with Shakespeare in the title, who's going to want to see that? What did you want it to be called? 
I don't remember. This was a long time ago. I don't even know what year. That that story alone shows how old I am because that movie, if I Googled it, I don't even know what year that movie came out. It's it's older. I, I know that movie. I think most people know that movie. Shakespeare in Love. 1998. That's how mm-hmm. old I am. The movie came, you know that movie. Wow. It came out in 1998. Wow. So I was wrong. I was wrong. I, w- I was four years old. <laughs> Oh my, goodness. oh my goodness. But I do know that movie. But maybe it wasn't necessarily that you're bad at it. Maybe the universe just wanted you to be writing books instead. I like that. You know? Maybe. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. So what was what was your first published book? That was the novel um, called 50% Off. And it was about a girl in advertising. Um, but... She wasn't me. She had blue eyes and I had brown eyes. No, no, no. But she wasn't me. She was sort of an exaggerated version of everything that's neurotic about me, like magnified. And weirdly enough, it had a slight self-help theme to it. It was about the power of belief. And, um, and, and she got into witchcraft, which I was definitely not into in real life. But I thought it would be interesting. And... Um, and I took my, my novel writing seriously and I went to a Wiccan store in New York and I like researched Wiccan and, oh my God, do you want to hear a quick funny story? Yeah, of course. I met a warlock and by the way, I'm, I'm not into it, but I, I respect people that are this, you know, but I'm not, I'm not into this. Um, so I met this guy and he was really hip and he took me to this, um, witch's circle and I was undercover doing this, but intrigued, but you know, undercover intrigued. And it was really interesting. It was a hip modern Wiccan circle and everybody was, you know, trying to do spells for different things. One of them was trying to sell their screenplay. Like, please let me sell my screenplay, whatever. Anyway, it turned out I had a boyfriend at the time. And the guy who took me to the witch's circle had a crush on me and kept saying, I wish you'd break up with your boyfriend. And this is the funny story. A couple weeks later, I got into like a weird fight with my boyfriend. And I started thinking, I want to break up with my boyfriend. And then I thought to myself, no, no. No, the, the warlock might have put a spell on me, and I'm staying with my boyfriend in case he put a spell on me to want to break up with him. <laughs> How long did that relationship last? What? How long did that relationship last? I stayed last? with him extra. I don't know, but I probably stayed with him an extra six months oh my just God. so in case the warlock did it. I haven't thought about that story in ages. Oh, my God. Okay, well, so story. I – I'm not like Wiccan or anything, but f- interesting about me, it's so funny bringing this up, is I'm like super into learning about witchcraft in Wicca, and um, I have like a ton of books about it, I just think it's so interesting to learn about, but like, you're not allowed to make spells for how someone break up with their boyfriend, like you can only do a spell for like someone's greater good, like he yes. he's a bad warlock, like he, that's, well, he, he might not that. stop it, he might not, it just the thought occurred to me. You know, because mm-hmm. he kept saying, I wish yeah. you did a boyfriend. I don't know. That's some dark magic. I wondered if it was dark magic. So I just stayed with him extra six months just so it would be my choice or something, you know, or something. Good for something. you. Good for you. Gotta, you got to <laughs> practice your free will. Make sure none of the witches are coming after you. 
<laughs> I love it. Okay, so you so after that book, then what was your next book? Um, I did a business book for women um, with a very feisty title during a time that people didn't have nowadays there are a lot of books with really crazy titles um which i don't know if i'm allowed to say what the titles are but like there's yeah titles you can't I, I all i do is swear on this podcast it's fine oh okay <laughs> like the f word yeah. is in the title um oh my god just so many so my book was i was giving a seminar to a bunch of women on how to pursue and snag your passions. And I was in Philadelphia where I'm from giving the seminar and, um, my agent called and I said to her as a joke, I said, I gotta go. I have to give my, how to succeed in business with how to succeed in business without a penis seminar. And because there's a play, how to succeed in business without really trying. And I think it was a book or something at first. So it was like my joke on that parody of that title and my agent said, oh, my God, you have to write a business book with that title. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, my gosh, you're kidding. And she stayed me, stayed on that with me. And then I wrote a business book with that title and became a big bestseller. Um, but that was in a time when people didn't curse in book titles. And so it was both, you know, gave me a lot of positive attention and a lot of backlash, too, because of the crazy word in the title. But it did go on to become a bestseller. And not only that, I was shocked, but it wound up becoming a bestseller in a lot of different countries. And they sent me on an international book tour. And I learned how to say the word penis in about eight different languages because I'd go in German and in you know, France. Can you demonstrate a few? I don't remember. <laughs> Again, remember, I'm an advanced person. <laughs> so this was back in 1996. So I do remember the year that book came out. And so I don't really remember, but I remember, and then some of them, they just said penis, like with an accent. Yeah. So some, I forgot what country that was, but, and I called them my seminars instead of seminars. I love because, it. Uh, so I was always feisty, you know, and um, it was funny because I thought to myself, if I ever have kids, how am I ever going to explain my titles to my kids? But now there's so many crazy book titles out there that my eight, almost nine-year-old son like yawns at my book titles because, you know, they're just like, whatever, mom. You know, like he doesn't – it's yeah. nothing shocking to him, sadly. Yeah, <laughs> for, I mean, for nine-year-old, I like it's, nowadays, nowadays that's not too risque. Like I wouldn't really – yeah, freak out about it, you know, but I'm curious as an author, what do you think is more important to selling a book, a catchy title or really great content? Oh, God, I'm both, both. I'm going to tell you both. One cannot exist without the other. I mean, maybe um, an average title with a great book can surface, but why, why limit it? Mm-hmm. You kind of need both. But do you think that But a great book title with bad content, I don't think it's going to work. So I guess in the end, content does rule. But but if you're hiding behind, you know, a bad title, then that just hurts you. So you you need it all. And it's not just the title these days. You know, it's everything. It's so many things make a book. What made me a best selling author back in the 1990s and the early 2000s, uh, you know, everything's different in the year 2019. Then nowadays, to become an author, 
you really have to have the social media following for um, and connections with other you know people to, to promote you. It was it's ver- it's very different now. It's a very different world for authors. That's interesting. I want you to speak more to that. Do you feel like it's like unfair? I do. I do. I do. I really do. Um, and also like there's a lot of free content and, and stuff for beginning authors. I really feel for them. I feel for their struggle. Um, I think it's hitting everybody, even not specifically authors. Like, I mean, I feel that too. I'm not an author necessarily, but because there's so much free content, nobody really wants to pay for anything. It's true. It's true. I made friend in a, a friend in a cafe recently who was a younger boy and um and he was telling me how he works at a place where he gets to hire freelancers on a website and he only pays them like $50, $100 and the writers, you know, are constantly emailing him to when is my check coming for the 50 or the 100 and he feels so bad that, you know, how hard it is to be a writer. And he was just like reminding me and I, I really do feel for, for, for that. And, and to tell you the truth, even at my age, keeping up with the technology, because I feel like I'm, I have to stay advanced with, with technology mm-hmm. and understanding all the technology. And then younger kids have that, not to stereotype because I'm stereotyping, but um, I do feel like my son, uh, so I won't stereotype because I, I really hate people that stereotype. So I don't want to be one of them, but I'll just own it as myself. I have technophobia and I blame it on my age, which is stupid. It just might be me and only me. But, um, but my son who's only eight comes into my room about a month ago and says, mom, will you get me Adobe? I'm like, Adobe, what do you want that for? I want to make some videos and I want to edit them. And it's a great edit editing system. And he's all of eight years old. Wow. And I'm like, well, you know, mommy doesn't know Adobe. That's okay, mom. I'll teach myself. And so I'm like, I, I got it for him on a month by month basis, figuring if he, you know, cause I want to reward him for being, you know, brave and, and curious. So I got him the Adobe and he calls me in a couple of hours later. And he's like, mom, look what I made. He made this video with Adobe. He taught himself. It had like green screen and everything, you know, I I do think that if you're growing up around the technology, um, that you're more likely to not be afraid of it. And I didn't grow up with it. So I do have a little bit of technophobia. I don't know if it's just only me or, or more people my age, but I, I need to push past that and really teach myself all of this new technology with things. I, I think it's it's common when you when you don't grow up with it. But like, what about it scares you? You know, it, it actually makes me a better coach on some level too, and a better mom because I'm going to just tell you, newness scares me. It reminds me that newness scares me. Um, like I literally have like brain freeze and I'm like nervous when I go in to learn something new. And, um, and I think also I, when I coach people or even just in general, I know, I just know identity is destiny. And if I, I have to watch it. If I walk around thinking, I am just not good at technology. Then that's who I'm going to be. Yeah, have to get rid of that identity. 
I can own my truth that I have fear of it, but it doesn't mean that I'm bad at it. And quite frankly, I once I start to get into the curiosity and the fun and the excitement of learning, which is there, <clears throat> then some of my fear goes away. You know, there's a fine line between fear and excitement, too. Yeah. Um, sometimes excitement feel, feels like fear and sometimes fear is actually excitement. So um, if I just see it as like fun and exciting, I kind of morph my fear, then I do better. Yeah, 100%. That's what I always tell people when they tell me they're nervous. I'm like, you're not nervous, you're just excited. <laughs> yeah, right? It's, yeah. A, it's a better – and it's true. There's truth to that. There's definite truth. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think also something interesting about with tech and the way content has changed is a lot less people are willing to sit down and read a full book and people just want like a quick a quick blog post or even more so like, you know, I, I blog a lot, but I find a lot of people don't even want to read blogs anymore. They just want to watch quick videos. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling that too, which means, you know what that means? I have to have my son teach me Adobe so I can make videos. <laughs> yeah. Maybe he needs to make videos. <laughs> maybe he does. Well, wh what do you think, like, what advice would you give to someone who wants to be an author in today's, in today's space? Um, <clears throat> well, I, I, I would say as to what you, what you said originally content has to be good, you know, so definitely work on that. But there are so many things you have to juggle at the same time and, and, and be brave about exploring. And so I would say social media matters if you want to be published with a publishing house, or even sell it on your own social media followings matter. But um, in the end, also social media can be wonky and having a website that has strong search engine optimization, which I didn't used to know what that was or how to do it. And I'm teaching. That's one of the things that I'm excited about learning. <laughs> so I'm, I'm pushing past my, uh Oh, do I really have to learn this? And now I'm, it's kind of like a fun game. I'm learning it for the first time now in the year 2019, you know, um, search engine optimization, keywords and, all this stuff, and then you bring people to your website, and then you have them sign up for your newsletter, because in the end, I would say that as a writer, um, your newsletter, your email list, your subscriber list is the most valuable thing, more so than social media, because social media, who knows, you know, um, I attracted um, like 1.3 million people on Facebook, but... Facebook is not as um, as uh, useful lately because they kind of have changed their algorithms for news feeds. So not ever, not all my 1.3 million people get my posts, and there's things like that. So you know, it's best to build a, a great website, stay active on Instagram and and Pinterest actually is has been very good to me and um some people like twitter but me personally because i'm a visual person i prefer pinterest and linkedin also you can get people to your website and finding out by by linkedin so all of these you know to constantly be stirring all of these pots 
And then as you, you know, podcast, videos, YouTube, I haven't really yet ventured into YouTube. And that's one of the things that I have to um, excitedly get myself curious about. And I want to, I want to do more video stuff because video does seem to be king. Video is king. Mm -hmm. So Uh, video is king, but I personally worry about it. Like, I think I'm just worried about the fact that so many younger people don't want to read. <laughs> I get worried about that. My my son, um, it was just a one-person focus group, but yeah. my son says, Mom, books aren't cool. And I'm not sure if, like, he's just saying that just to, like, you know, kind of be funny to his mom, who is a book author. Mm-hmm. But... Um, you know, he, he, that's, you know, yeah. So, and I, I want, I, I feel books are, I will always love books. I still prefer paper book to Kindle. I, I, I love everything about, I love opening them, smelling them, touch. I just, I love books. Yeah. And I know audio books are becoming more popular and, and, um, and that's kind of cool because there's something personal about it. Um, but I still love I still love paper books. I do. I, I do too. There's something about flipping a page, marking your page, smelling it, feeling it. But I think you know life moves really fast, and people want just fast information, so they're not going there. And I really think technology has made just our attention span so short. And it's hard for people to sit down. People will tell me this, like, I can't sit down and read more than a page. I get bored. I get tired. <laughs> there's there's truth to that. And I have video courses on my website, so I am doing videos. I have three different video courses on my website. And I first created it um, back in 2013. And then I rejiggered everything to have videos that are only in two to ten minute bursts of information because the feedback was people wanted shorter videos. So now everything's two to 10 minutes. And then I I even get emails from people. I love your two minute videos and your three minute, like 10 minutes is too long. Could you break? And I'm like, what? 10 minutes? Like, so it's, it's interesting. It's, and I, and I do feel that, um, that seems to be the norm on Facebook even to, sh- yeah. to share like shorter videos, like three minutes, I think is like the nice sweet spot for a video on Facebook to do well. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's interesting to me though, with the video thing and people like it shorter and it's still the same amount of content total though, because, Oh, for example, podcasts, like my podcasts are relatively long and I have friends who, whose podcasts are much longer than mine. And people will say, Oh, I don't like podcasts, but I'm like, well, can you just pause it and go back to it or like same with the video you know like if it's a 40 minute video can you just pause it right and what do people say they're just like oh, I don't know I don't like it and I think there's a psychological component to that like what is it about that that I think it intimidates people for some reason when they see that number and they're like they just see the number it's like paralysis by analysis you see that you're like I don't have time for that I just can't do it you know it just seems too much to approach versus they see a video that's too much like oh I could do that now because we're just in this go 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 fast-paced lifestyle that's just my opinion I don't know what you think no I think you know making that commitment so sometimes even in my newsletter I say like I look at the article because I try to keep the article somewhat short every once in a while I'll do a long one because I just really feel 
the information is best longer. But if it's a short one, I will actually tell someone in the newsletter, come on over to, <clears throat> to Nod Salmon. Sorry, I have a little little crunchy neck throat thing. Um, it's a three-minute read. Like, I promised mm-hmm. them that, mm-hmm. you know, because I don't want them to automatically think, you know, that they don't have time. So three-minute read, and that's like, okay, three minutes I can commit to, you know, and, and then they might stay longer and tool around on the website. But if you just say two minutes only, three minutes only, then they're more likely. You can even do that with yourself. You can trick yourself into starting a new habit by telling your, in fact, that's even my, my instant calm book, my meditation book was developed on purpose. Um, shameless plug here, but it, but it's, but it makes sense to mention it here. People didn't want to meditate when I had clients and I would create these little two minute meditations and they'd be, Oh, two minutes that, that I can find time. So my, my instant calm book is two minute meditations. And then, you know, I say it's easier to be a saint for two minutes than for like 30 minutes. So if, if you try to get someone to start a meditation practice and you say 30 minutes every day, on the meditation pillow, they're like, you know, I don't got time for that, you know, but if you say two minutes in the morning, mm-hmm. you're like, oh, okay, and then the next day, they might stay for three minutes, and then four minutes, and then you can kind of build up slowly that way. Yeah. So that's a way to start a new habit is by saying just two minutes. Yeah, you know, I find that that's really helpful with exercise, too. Like you just tell someone, Exercise for five minutes, like move your body for five minutes. Exactly. And they'll get started and then they usually stay for longer, but that's much less intimidating than being like, oh, go to the gym for 45 minutes or an hour, you know? Yes. Yeah, definitely. Well, you've written a lot of books and I'm curious about your writing process. Like, what does that look like for you when you're going to write a book? Before I let Karen get into her book writing process, I want to tell you guys about today's sponsor, Four Sigmatic. If you haven't already listened to episode 237 with Danielle Ryan Broida, you definitely need to because she is Four Sigmatic's national educator and she drops so much knowledge about all things functional mushrooms. If you are not familiar with Four Sigmatic, Four Sigmatic is a company that's on a mission to popularizing mushroom consumption because many people don't realize that beyond the portobello, an entire kingdom of mushrooms exists and they have so many health benefits for immunity, cognition, energy, longevity, and more. And these have been used for centuries. Four Sigmatic is amazing because they make drinking mushrooms and superfoods delicious and easy to do with their mushroom coffees, their mushroom superfood blends, and their mushroom elixirs. So we're talking about functional mushrooms like reishi, chaga, cordyceps, lion's mane, and more. They sell tins for at-home use and single-serve packets, which are really great for travel. I always carry a bunch of these in my bag with me at all times just in case I need one. They are super easy to use because all you have to do is drop a packet into a cup of hot water or you can mix it in with some nut milk. You can also put it into smoothies or shakes but bottom line is all you got to do is pour the packet in and you are good to go and they taste delicious. They are made with the highest quality ingredients only wildcrafted or law-grown and certified organic mushrooms, and the products are all tested for pesticides, heavy metals, irradiation, and mycotoxins. 
I personally drink at least two Four Sigmatic packets a day. In the morning, I will have either a Cordyceps, a Chaga, or a Lion's Mane, and then every evening I have a little Reishi Mushroom Elixir Mix. The Cordyceps Elixir Mix is amazing for natural energy. It's an adaptogen, not a stimulant, so it will help you produce natural steady energy levels without the energy spike and crash of caffeine. This is also especially great for athletes and muscle recovery. The chaga is known for its antioxidant properties. This is the first Four Sigmatic product I fell in love with a few years ago when I was in college. I started drinking it every day because I just loved the taste. And then I started to notice that I was not getting sick very often because chaga is just so great for supporting immune health. And especially as we roll into fall and winter, you definitely want to be upping your chaga consumption. And then there's the lion's mane, which is amazing for your brain, your nervous system. It's an all-natural cognitive enhancer, so it's great for supporting memory and concentration. If you need to focus, if you need to write, study, read, just get work done, then the lion's mane will help you out. And of course, the reishi is amazing for stress, sleep. If you have trouble winding down at night, the ratio will help chill you out. So I like to have this a few hours before bed. And this time of year, I also love to have some of the mushroom hot cacao mix. Every so often as a treat, it is the Four Sigmatic version of hot chocolate. You can just mix with some hot water or nut milk. And it's got that cacao mixed with a little bit of reishi so you won't be up all night from the chocolate. If you do like coffee, I highly recommend the mushroom coffee mix. When I do have coffee, which is not super often, I always go for the mushroom coffee mix because it doesn't give me the jitters like regular coffee does. There's only 50 milligrams of caffeine per serving and it's mixed with functional mushrooms like cordyceps and chaga or lion's mane and chaga and really easy to bring with you wherever you go. And a recent favorite of mine has been the matcha latte mix. There's a little bit of coconut milk powder in there along with the matcha powder and maitake mushrooms for the gut support and the super herb moringa. All you need is some hot water and it tastes so delicious. But they have a ton of other lattes as well like their golden latte mix and their chai latte mix and their mocha. Just check them all out at foursigmatic.com slash CRW. And if you use my code CRW, you will get 15% off. So again, that's foursigmatic.com, F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C dot com slash CRW. And my code CRW will get you 15% off. And don't forget to check out episode 237 with Danielle from Foursigmatic because she will blow your mind and you will fall in love with functional mushrooms the way I have. All right, now that you're up to date on the functional mushrooms you need in your life, let's go ahead and hop back into this conversation with Karen Salmonson. Well, I I think of writing a book as like a relationship, so you have to be in love with the book. Mm -hmm. I, I only do books that I'm like, I fall in love with the idea of it because you have to live with it for so long, not just the writing of it, But afterwards, you know, promoting it, talking about it. So you better really love the topic. So I first, like, let it come to me. Like, I don't, you know, like, okay. So my, I wrote a longevity book and that happened very just organically. I'm a late in life mom. I had a baby at 50 
And my son, as he was getting older, I've always been into health and wellness and meditation and yoga and all of that. But um, as my son got older, we talked a lot about me being a late in life mom. And I said, I promised him that I would do everything to live to 100. And he asked me to live to 200. But I bargained him down to 100. And, um, and then he accepted. And then I decided to research everything I could to live to 100 and turned it kind of into a game with myself, like just reading everything and interviewing people and interviewing experts on longevity, aging, nutrition, everything like that. And as I was doing it, I thought, oh, oh, this should be a book. You know, I was researching it anyway. And I also believe that a book can be an accountability buddy. Like if I write the book and I'm going to talk about the book, I better practice what's in the book. So it kind of forces me to live up to my self promises of following what I'm writing about. And so for all of these reasons, it's like exciting to write a book on, on like a topic like longevity. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so I wrote that book. It was called life is long and, um, I, I read through, I, I actually love reading so much. I, I, I love reading even like these very, um, complicated research studies. I like reading things and then writing it up. So it's fun and easy to understand. So, and people are short on time, so I don't mind. I love reading. Don't worry. You're like outsourcing the reading of these complicated research studies to me, you know, and then I write it up so it's quick and easy knowing that people don't have time. So life is long is sort of like a con the best information on longevity in a fun to read short book with with really pretty illustrations, which I didn't illustrate that someone else did, but she's very talented. And, um, and it's, I'm, you know, I'm proud of that book. I'm really excited about that book. Yeah. Well, so, so, you know, so you get the idea, you fall in love with it, you do a lot of research and then from there, what is it like? Are you the type of person who like, are you very systematic? You like outline draft, do that. Or do you just like write everything? Do you, are you the type of person who just holds up, you know, in the apartment and doesn't move until they've written the book? Do you space it out? Like, what's your, your actual writing process like? Well, first I research. Mm -hmm. I, I am really a research geek. Um, uh, that's really, I, I used to live in a different apartment. I had so many books in that apartment. When I went to move, um, I decided finally to get, I had, well, anyway, they came to get the book. I had like 700 books in the apartment. And the Strand Bookstore here, store here in New York came to pick them up. And they said they hadn't seen that many books in a person's apartment. The last time they did was like a little old lady shut-in who had them. And I, but I just love reading. And um, so the first thing I do is I research. And then what I try to do is find the best of the best of the best of the best. Because if I'm going to put it in, so I kind of go through it. And it's kind of the things that... I feel are the most important and also things that are like, wow, I didn't know that, you know, so I pull that together. And originally life is long was only supposed to have, um, 50 tips in it when I got the deal with the publishing house. And I think I wound up with 58 because I found so many and I was so excited about sharing them. So my editor was like, okay, okay, we'll do 58 of them. Oh, anyway, I'm looking at the book now, 57, 57. Mm -hmm. And, then, so I, I picture the 
like what the content will be for each of the different tools. Then once she says yes, so first we narrow focus in an outline form and she's, but I have to kind of give quick, quick summaries of what each of those um, categories of tools would be. And then I have to think of a book structure. So I noticed and, you know, I, I knew in, in advance even, but then I, I proved it to myself as I was researching that I wanted tools in two categories, mind and body. So, and I need to think of an outline and how it will fall in the table of contents. And I kind of work on the table of contents, I guess, first before I go into the details of writing each. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, one section will be mind and one section will be body because how you think and the psychology of things affects how long you live as well as obviously nutrition and being physically active. So I thought, okay, mind, body. And then I tried to have an equal amount of tools, you know, pretty much equal on mind as body. And then after that, I, after I got the editor's approval on which I thought were the most important and most interesting, then I went into the nitty gritty and wrote up all the 57 different tips. Okay. Well, let's get into some of the content. Can you share some of your favorite tips? From from Life is Long? Yeah, yeah. Some uh, longevity tips. Oh, okay. Um, geez. Well, if I, well, if I were to give the main ones, I don't know if these are the most interesting. Remember, I sort of like let my vetting be like what's the most helpful and then also what are some really weird ones too, you know. <sighs> But the most helpful, I'm a big believer that um, I, I, I jokingly say sugar is a sociopath, you know, because it, it comes on really sweet, but it's really dangerous and bad for you. And um, so I, I try to keep sugar to a minimum. Um, Dr. Mark Hyman, he says that sugar is the new cigarettes that, you know, people don't realize how bad sugar is. Like they used to actually promote sugar. Like in the, he did a documentary all about the dangers of sugar and sugar was actually at one point promoted as being good for you, you know? So it definitely is not. And just the fact that people, as soon as they, they get sadly cancer, they correct their diet. And the first thing that goes out is sugar, you know? And so I think, you know, proactively, we should be watching our sugar. And I then get mad at companies that promote food that's supposed to be healthy, but it's, it's filled with sugar, like some of the energy bars and flavored yogurts. And I'm like, Oh, my God, this flavored yogurt has 38 grams of sugar. Yeah, it's in everything. It's in everything. So, and it, it goes and has lots of aliases like high fructose corn syrup, sucrose, maltose. Like it, it's, it really is a sociopath. There's all these little aliases. It's all tricky like that. So, um, and then there's some tools like if you have things with cinnamon, cinnamon actually, um, helps to lower your cravings for sugar and it also helps lower blood sugar levels. So I like to sprinkle some sugar in my coffee. I mean, not sugar, um, cinnamon in my coffee. Mm-hmm. And once you cut back on sugar, you don't crave it as much, really. Things then can sometimes taste too sweet. Like uh, after I cut back on sugar, 
it might, you know, if somebody's like, oh, you really have to try this and I'll try, I'm like, oh, it tastes so sweet. Like, it's funny. You can really change how things taste. I definitely agree with that. I have a very adjusted palate because of that. Um, I like went like three years without any sugar at all. And then during that time wrote two recipe books that are all dessert books with no sugar or sweeteners. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you got (laughs) to change your palate, you know? Um, But I think people don't realize about the sugar. Um, Cinnamon is also amazing. I'm a huge cinnamon fan. Do you put cinnamon on your vegetables? No, but I might. Girl, that sounds. You need to. You gotta ro- put it on the wow. sweet potatoes, the butternut squash, the cauliflower, the zucchini, eggplant. It's so good. Ooh, egg! I love eggplant. Yeah, do That's some do good. some coconut oil and cinnamon and some sea salt. Thank me that later. Well, you know what I get. Well, in the book, I also talk about seasonings. There's a certain, you know, obviously or not obviously certain seasonings are good for you. And um, I I now buy, instead of using salad dressings, even with like the quote unquote good oils in them, I like buying like interesting seasonings, even like they sometimes make them pre-mixed up in weird combinations like Moroccan seasonings yeah. or Greek you know, and I just put that on salad or vegetables with no oil. And I love cumin and I cumin and cinnamon mm-hmm. it would be like a really good combo. I could picture that being really good together. Yes. So it's good. good. Okay. Well, yeah. besides sugar, reducing or eliminating sugar consumption, what do you think are like the big, the big rocks when it comes to increasing longevity? Yeah. Well, okay. I'm going to get some backlash. Um, I, I'm I'm not a big fan of meat. Mm, interesting. So, and people are like, oh, oh, Karen, don't tell me not to eat. But I really, um, I'm what I call a pescatarian-ish. Like I'm like a, I eat fish. I do have some eggs sometimes, but not all that often. And I raised my son to be a pescatarian and he did not eat meat for the longest time. And then he was like around seven, I think it was, maybe it's like a year or so ago, and he noticed and smelled bacon. Mm-hmm. And that was his gateway drug, so to speak. That was his gateway meat. He he wanted to try bacon. And I thought, oh, God, what do I do? And I thought, you know what? If you make something really forbidden, that could be worse. So I And I also just felt like let him be a kid on some level. So I let him try bacon. And then he wanted to try burgers and then he wanted to try you know deli sandwiches of meat and so I kind of let him do that and and now he eats it every once in a while and he'll say to me mom mom just have a taste and I'm like but I'm pescatarian he's just have a taste so I sometimes have a bite of my son's sandwiches I admit so that's why I say I'm pescatarian-ish okay so well, I have I'm curious what's your what's your reasoning behind not eating the meat for longevity Oh, well, well, where can I begin? I, again, I don't want to, you know, I always watch it. The reason why I don't say that right away is, um, I don't want to be too much of an alarmist. (laughs) You're not, but I mean, this podcast is very nutrition focused. We we're very, uh, geeky about nutrition over here. So people like to hear the different perspectives. Okay. 
Well, well, first of all, like studies completely consistently show that if I call it delete meat, that if you if you get meat out of your life, you can live like four years more longer. Like there's all these studies. It leads to all kinds of, you know, colon cancer, cancers, kidney stones, gallstones. It's, it's just a lot of a lot of things that are, you know, bad for you come from meat. And a lot of it has to do with the particular meat. Red meat is like the worst. But chickens, I, oh my gosh, have you ever seen any of these documentaries? Uh, they're just raised so badly. And same with the cows and the, I just like, it's part me caring about the animals. And then also, I mean, cause you watch the conditions and it's like disgusting and sad and you can't, it's, you just really don't want to eat it just for their sake. And then also that's so dirty and everything and the hormones and the blah, 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 blah. So for your own sake and for cholesterol and every, I mean, it's like, it's, I mean, let me count the ways. Um, it's just heart disease. It's just, bad for you but don't you think that depends on the quality of the meat like for example i think most of the people listening to this only eat grass-fed meat you know organic like humanely raised animals and most studies aren't done on those animals well i know this is a little controversial i still feel like even it's better that's great um but from what I've read, I still shy away from meat, even the grass fed, which is better. But um, I, I just still shy away from it. And I try to get my son to eat the best of you know meat if he's going to have it. So we go to places that have the grass fed. But I still, I'm still, I'm still going to stick to my pescatarian-ish ways from yeah. what, I'm, from what I've read. But to each his own, because if you're doing things like, let's say you have, you give yourself basically 10 longevity points and you're like, but I'm going to have meat. Okay. You still have like nine other areas that you can, you know, you can sort of make up for it. You know, you don't have to do everything. I'm a person that's, um, and I also believe in moderation and, you know, there's ways that you can still be a healthy person and still have grass fed meat. And then you just make sure that you have, you don't have too much processed food and you don't have too much sugar, you know, you can still get away with having your grass fed meat. If you make sure you stay mindful of other areas of health. So what are some of the other, some of the other big rocks? Gosh, you're making me do the rocks. I always, you see, I'm such a, like, I, I, I don't want to, I'm, I'm, even though I had a book with the word penis in it, I'm also against dairy. I'm not a big fan of dairy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am pro probiotic. Yeah. I think better your gut health there. That's not controversial. I don't think anybody, um, could come down on me with that, but the better your your gut health, the better all of your health. I mean, everything they you know that your gut is like, you know, it, it's great for even um, clarity of mind. You know, they they think of the gut as almost like a second brain, and you know that's why if you eat a big meal, sometimes you go into a food coma. It sort of um, it affects everything. So I like having my kimchi and I love having my probiotics and I love having my kombucha and I I really think about my gut health a lot. 
Yes. And, I love and that's that. dairy. Dairy's bad for gut health. Mm-hmm. And so there's everything sort of interrelated, you know, and sugar is bad for gut health. You know, is there anything in there, any tips that you think most people will be very surprised by, like they might not have ever heard? Well, I guess those might be in um, the mind, the mind body, the mind section of it. Um, and well, there's a lot of studies or oh, actually this one's in the body section. So I'll stay on body for a little. There's um, in the um, blue zone area, there's something called Hara Hachibu. And, um, this is where you only eat until you're about like 70, 80% full. You make sure you don't eat until you're completely full. And that in these sections, the blue zone, um, the people that follow this Hara Hachibu where they only eat until they're 70 or 80% full, um, they live longer and there's more people that live to like a hundred and over. So um, which I actually think might also relate back to gut health when I think about it. Um, so that's something that I try to do. And, um, and then in the mind section, attitude has a lot to do with it and how you think about aging. So, you know, if you view, I, I, I write a lot about not groaning older, not growing older. Like if you have a view of aging, that's positive. You know, I, I like to think of myself as being part of a group called the Welderly, you know, where we're active, we're out there, we're doing things, you know, and I, I think of myself, if you have things that you're always looking forward to, to have like, um, a passion in your life that they, they say, I have a whole section in the book, delay when you re- retire, delay when you expire. Like if you have things that you love doing that people live longer when you have things that you're looking forward to. And in fact, they even did a study where they gave um, one group of senior citizens something as small as a plant to take care of. Mm-hmm. And the other group got nothing. And the, the group of senior citizens that had the plant wound up living longer when we have something. And there's even studies that late in life, Parents sometimes, well, not some in general, this new studies that they live a little bit longer. And I thought back to that plant study, and I thought, well, that makes sense. Like you have really something to live for. Like I really yeah. want to live as long as possible. And 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 even having a loved one, a partner that you love, helps you live longer. And there's even studies that are a little on the sad side that if you're, you know, in a committed love relationship for a long time and your partner passes that um, that can hurt your mortality, that when one partner passes in a, in a long-term relationship, that that can influence the mortality of the other partner. And I think it's because you, in your mind, you need to have things to look forward to. You always have to have, you know, passions in your life. And um, friends and being social helps you to live longer. Yeah, 100%. Um, well, I think those are very great tips. And I, I want you to also give some tips on some of your other books and content because you have, you're like, you cover everything. It's pretty incredible. Um, so I want to touch on a few of these other topics you've written about. First of all, I know you have a course about stopping emotional eating. Ah, yes. So yes. do you have any kind of key points for people who are struggling with that? Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Well, that was always my thing when I was stressed, um, was to be a stress eater. And, um, it, you know, I, when I was pregnant, I gained, I, I mean, I'm short, I'm like petite, I'm about five foot three. And so for me, this really was like a lot. I mean, I, I gained like something like over 80 pounds and, um, I, I, I was stress eating, I guess I was nervous about motherhood. And then when the, when my little guy, you know, was born and I was stress eating about trying to juggle work and trying to juggle mommyhood and all of that. So although I lost some of the 90, I still was carrying around like an extra 20 to 30 on my, you know, five foot three frame was a lot for me, mm-hmm. especially I used to be, you know, like what I thought of myself, I thought of myself as athletic and, you know, yoga and, and working out and this. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, what? So I I went to the doctor and he told me that I had high cholesterol and some other things. And it became a big health scare to me because I'm a late in life mom. I'm like, oh, gosh, this is like the worst time ever to suddenly be unhealthy and I need to be around. So I I really needed to go into high gear on on finally stopping the stress eating for good because it it had been a lifelong pattern in college I stress ate breakups you know I think they say um starve wait starve a cold feed a fever I was like starve a cold feed a breakup like I was like <laughs> like every breakup I'd gain like 10 15 pounds you know that's where my stress went so I was I I started researching again I went to like into research geek mode and I found some interesting studies, and one of them was on um, addiction and how a lot of addiction, the root cause of addiction, has to do with anger and resentment. And they gave uh, the people don't know how to process anger and resentment. And so they gave um, – these people that in this case it had to do with drugs these drug addicts the traditional method to um, detox from drugs and then another group they gave a holistic method that was only based on forgiveness therapy that's it just forgiveness therapy and then you know counseling in general but none of the traditional drug detox things and the group that did the forgiveness therapy not only had better success rates of um, stopping drug usage, they also had less recidivism, meaning they were less likely to return to drug abuse because they got into the root of their issue, which was the anger and the resentment. So I realized that hate loss leads to weight loss, that Every time I was sitting down with a big bag of Cheetos or something, I was really sitting down with a big bag of I hate them chips or I hate them doodles or I, you know, I hate me or I hate the situation. Like it was anger. It was it was emotional. And I do believe that a lot of overeating has to do with emotions um, that these cravings don't necessarily come from hunger. They come from emotions. And so. In the course, I offer a lot of tools to get to the root of the core pain, get to the root of, you know, what are you really trying to fill up inside of you with the food? 
and forgiveness therapy is part of it, but I have, I really get to the root of it. And then I have a lot of tools in there that are about what I call stop and swap, that it's not enough to stop. If you want to, like, if I want to stop a dog from, I have a dog, if you want to stop the dog from chewing on a bone, it's not enough just to say, um, you know, pull the bone away because then he'll chew on your slippers, you know, so you have to replace the bone with something else. So, and I don't just mean food, like take away the ice cream and replace it with, you know, eggplant with cinnamon on it, (laughs) which sounds fabulous. I'm going to try that later this week, but placing your thoughts too. And, you know, doing pause buttons, um, which double as pause off buttons, like tell yourself, you know, how will I feel about this in three hours? How will I feel about this tomorrow? Like asking yourself questions in the middle. I have a lot of tools Mm that the program is, about three hours worth of information, but delivered in fun little bursts (laughs) of like two minutes, four minutes. Oh my God. I just got an email today from somebody who just signed up and oh my God, their email was so nice about how much they're loving the tools and I make it fun. I also believe that, um, if something is fun to do, if you can laugh while doing it, then you're more likely to do it. So I have a lot of humor in the course. Mm-hmm. I love that. Love that. Um, I am curious, what what do you think was the root for you? That root anger. Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! Um, I I think I well I think it had to do with uh, some prince harmings in my life as I call them one in particular a particular prince harming uh and I just really needed to deal with that and and then also there was somebody a business betrayal which I wrote about on my website in an article um a young girl that I mentored and helped her to get her very first published book who I worked at a really nice deal with her. I I helped her for free with back-end participation of only 10%. It wasn't even that much money. It was just 10%. And then I then got her the book deal, did not ask for anything extra, no agenting fee or anything like that. And then she just like proceeded to just try to get away with not paying me my my silly little 10%. And it was just, you know, it was just a real disappointment too, because the reason why I structured the deal so nicely was she was this young girl that I was sort of her spiritual mother and to have her do that just felt very painful. So I, I think, you know, I'm such an optimistic person, such a positive person when something like that happens. I think that my personality type is I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. But pass me the cheese doodles. (laughs) (laughs) that's fine with me that's fine i'll have another scoop of ice cream you know i think that's sort of what i i was doing personally and you can be too positive and i believe you have to let yourself feel the core pain truth Mm -hmm. to to move through it yeah i would agree i think that's also it seems like it would be related to your other course how to avoid drama llamas (laughs) yes well I write remember I I I write about things that I have really 
dealt with and come to terms with and and really have decided, you know, enough, enough. I mean, I joke, sometimes you have to reach to hell with this to get to post to hell to this, to hell with this, mm-hmm. to get to your best times in life. And sometimes like crisis pain becomes crisis fuel. It's like enough, right? It's just enough. So like, yes. So after the young girl and I just like enough. And so that, that's what created the course, the drama llama course. And, and, you know, some other things too, you know, um, and, uh, the drama llama courses for people that are dealing with people that are either narcissists, sociopaths, or just really challenging, difficult personality types and, and how to make sure you maintain your boundaries while still being a good person, you know, um, and some people you can't get out of your life, like they're in your life, they're family members. Mm-hmm. So like one of the tools I was doing that I put in the course that's sort of funny is I have some family members that I, I do have to still maintain relationships with. So I put them in my phone with their name and I say, um, breathe, you know, or be patient. I have like their name with like a positive reminder mantra. So every time they call or I go to text them or, you know, they're texting me, I see the positive mantra there sort of as a reminder. (laughs) I love that. What happens if they see that? (laughs) Oh my God. You know, that once happened, they were with me and they're like, Oh, I want to check my voice. I forgot what it was. I'm like, no, no. (laughs) Oh my God. Did they see it? Did they say something? No, they didn't. And then another time, my son, now that he can read and everything, he was like looking at my phone and he's like, I, well, I don't think that relative was with me, but he's like, mom, why does like family member X have the word breathe next to them? <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Honestly, it, this is kind of unrelated, but related to my friend. I saw the other day, she's going to crack up if she listens to this, but I was looking at her phone and she got a text from someone called waste of your time. <laughs> ah! <laughs> I was like, who is that? She's like, my ex. <laughs> See, that's good. I think that's good to rename people like that. I yeah, do think that's good. I love it. Well, I mean, so so we have changing, putting that in your phone. Do you have any other quick tips for, I mean, are you more of a fan of like learning to deal with these people or trying to get rid of them if you can? Well, it depends. Um, it, it, I, some people you, they're in your life. Yeah. I mean, they're relatives, you know, and that's just the way it is. Or if it's a long-term friend, then there's a way that, you know, um, you don't have to like completely break up with people, but you can maintain your boundaries and your self-respect. And you, you know, I have a lot of, um, things in there about having, um, courageous conversations and difficult conversations in a way that things don't escalate. So, um, where you can share how you feel, in a way where, you know, sometimes we're afraid to share how we feel with difficult personality types. So I have something in there about creating a compliment sandwich. And if you start off, if you're with a difficult person and they're doing something that really is annoying you in some way, um, to at least try to correct it with them by starting off, put the compliment bread on first and you say, 
you know, I really adore you. You know, there's always something you can find even about a, a family member that might be a difficult personality type. Um, and you, you say something and then you say what your goal is before you get to it, like the positive goal, your intention. I really want us to have a good relationship. I want us to feel good about each other. So you state that up front, you know, and then you say, um, there's something, however, that I would like us to work on together. Like, you know, do like the language you use, you can be, can, can either escalate things or, or, or maintain some common peace in the conversation. So I kind of load up the compliment bread up front. And then I say, when you do this, this is how I feel. And then I try to own it. I feel this, I feel that, you know, instead of you're a jerk, you, that you, this, you, that, you know, I feel this own your feelings, bring it back to your feelings and your core values and, you know, your goals. And then say, um, I'd really like to fix this because, and then again, compliment bread. I really do want us to have a relationship that feels comfortable. And I want to feel like we can, you know, however, whatever the relationship is, you know, be this, this, and this. And then that helps to make sure that things don't escalate. I love that. I am going to start always doing a compliment sandwich. It's been good to do with people you love. Like with my son, yeah. I'll give a compliment sandwich, you know, just to, you know, let him hear the, um, the, and, and I, sometimes I'll say, I want us to have the best relationship possible. Yeah. I'll use that phrase. That, that one I'll use with my son. If I want to give him a little opportunity to grow. <laughs> I feel like a lot of people need to like, with coworkers or like bosses, they have these problems, you know, so that could probably be an effective tool potentially depending on the topic. Yeah. Yeah. But with, I call them drama llamas. Cause again, I try to have humor about it. So, you know, you yourself don't walk around, you know, with so much resentment. I feel like humor is a good way to kind of, um, help you to lower some of your anger and resentment, just kind of laughing about it. Like, mm-hmm. uh, like that your friend wasted my time. She's having a sense of humor about it. So I called a drama llama on purpose just so you could kind of already just start to laugh about it. Yeah, no, I, I love that. I, one final thing I just wanted to touch on before we wrap up is, you know, with your son and uh, like getting pregnant at 50, what, what was that like for you? Um, well, it was, it was a purposeful pregnancy, so it was joyous and exciting. And, um, I was in very good health, which was part of the reason why it happened. Um, and I, I mean, I was, you know, working out and in good shape and all of that. And I, I never really felt my age, you know, um, I never really owned like I, in my mind, I felt so much younger and I, you know, so I, I guess to me, I, I wasn't really, I had in my mind, I felt like I'm sort of, and I, you know, I was healthy back then. So I just felt like it didn't really feel like I was getting pregnant at 50. I, I felt, 
I had friends that were 30 and I felt like I kind of blended with them. So, um, I guess for me, you know, it's different for different people, but I was, I felt like a very youthful 50. So I didn't feel, I didn't feel odd about it really, quite frankly. And here in New York, it's more normal. Yeah. I had, I went to see a doctor recently, a new one. And he asked me, any surgeries? This happened a couple of years ago. And I, any surgeries? And I said, yes, I had a cesarean at 50. And he writes it down, doesn't even blink. I go, oh, come on. I don't even get a reaction from you. He's like, what, what? I told you I had a cesarean at 50. He's like, yeah, this is New York. <laughs> <laughs> True. Well, I'm curious, like, was there some, what happened in your life that made you decide then, like, now's the time? Well, I had tried. Mm-hmm. I had tried and I had miscarried. Mm-hmm which I write on my, my blog. So, um, but I, I tried, I, I tried again with a partner and we did, we did IVF and that, and that worked. So, and I made sure from the miscarriage, I'd learned that I was low on estrogen and progesterone. So with the help of, um, the fertility clinic, I made sure I had enough progesterone and estrogen. So I definitely feel that and just being healthy in general. Mm-hmm. So, and I was still getting my period and all of that. So, um, and then it is a miracle. It's still a miracle. So I, I, I feel thankful, you know, I feel thankful all the, every day I tell my son, he's my little miracle. Yeah. Well, I'm, what, what have you, Learned like what's been something surprising that you've learned since being a mom? How much I love being a mom. Yeah, you didn't think you were going to. <laughs> well, you know, I did delay it. So, you know, although I did have the miscarriage, I also wasn't one of these people when I was younger. I had girlfriends; they'd be like, "Look at the cute baby," and I would be like, "Look at the cute dog." Yeah. Like I never noticed babies. Look at that cute dog. I'd always notice dogs. I would never notice babies. It wasn't really on my mind. And um, I think it's because I, I don't know, I, I wanted to do my, I loved writing and I was always nervous that being a mom would get in the way of my writing. It wasn't really top of mind until I procrastinated so long that my window of opportunity was closing down. And then I'm like, like kind of like that Roy Lichtenstein painting. Oh, I forgot to have kids, you know, like where they have that painting and she's slapping her forehead. And then I was like, Oh wait, wait, wait. And I, I guess I always did feel, well, I'm healthy. I'm in good shape. I have my period. Everything's normal. You know? So I was, and I'm optimistic, optimistic and positivity can sometimes get you into trouble. So um, but then again, it got me out of trouble because I was still optimistic and positive. Even at, uh, I got pregnant at 49 and had the baby at 50. So at 49, I was still optimistic and still hanging in there. So, um, but I, and I thought to myself, if I have a little girl, what am I going to tell her? And I, and this is what I do feel. I feel, I, I feel like I'm glad that I had my career, but I would have started a little bit earlier because I wish I could, I could have popped out a second kid. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I love, I, mom. I yeah. love, I love that you share that because, you know, I talk to a lot of friends who tell me, you know, I don't want to be a mom. I, I just don't want to have kids. And I'm just like, well, you don't know that you're not going to change your mind later on. You know, like you can always change your mind, even if you think you're not 
you don't want to be a mom now, you know? So I think it's good for people to hear that. Yeah. And nowadays, um, although I, I don't know enough about this cause I haven't researched it, but I know you can freeze eggs. Um, and there's all kinds of methods and more, and there's probably going to be even more opportunities for women to have babies later in life. But then no matter what, even if it's not about, um, you know, uh, being able to have the baby, you're still the age thing, you know, and you want to live and be active. And I am, luckily I, I am a high energy person and I am taking care of my health. So I have the energy at the playground and I have the energy to do things, but you have to know your own energy levels. Yeah. Well, I love that. Thank you for sharing all of this. You are so interesting to me. I love how you've just covered so many different topics and all your work is so impressive. Can well, thank you, you share with everyone where they can find more from you, not Salmon? Okay. Well, my name is Karen Salmonson and everybody mangles it and says Salmonson, Salmonson. And I'm always going, not Salmon, not Salmon. So instead of making people try to spell my name, I, I just made my website not salmon.com. And, <laughs> and that's Instagram is not Salmon. Facebook is not Salmon. Pinterest is not Salmon. So that's kind of how you find me. Okay. Is there a book that you recommend people start with? Well, I am pretty excited about my Instant Calm book, which is coming out in August with the meditations and and it kind of double duties as a longevity book because so much of longevity research also says that the better you can manage your stress, um, the longer you live. So, um, you know, when I was researching Instant Calm, I was like, wow, this keeps coming up that meditation helps you live longer. So that's another tip. But the tools, the meditation tools are all two minutes long. They're fun. I mean, I kind of gamified it. Mm-hmm. So they're mm-hmm. fun to do. And um, yeah, so I'd say Instant Calm. Okay, perfect. Everyone can go check that out. And is that on Amazon for pre-order or what? It's- it's on Amazon, it's on Barnes and Noble, it's it's you know, everywhere books are sold. Okay, perfect. Well thank you again, Karen. I had so much fun chatting with you. I had a great time chatting with you. You're a great interviewer. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much to Karen for coming on the show. She is so much fun to talk to. I just love her. And I'm sure you're gonna want to connect with her further, so you can find her on Instagram at not salmon and also head to her website notsalmon.com and you can find all of her content there if you enjoyed the episode make sure you let karen know if you feel so inclined i would love for you to share this podcast episode you can tag me tag karen tag wellness realness podcast and that way i can say thank you if you are not already in the Facebook group Wellness Realness Podcast Tribe, I would love to have you there. Please join and say hi, post about whatever random thing is on your mind, connect with other listeners. I would just love to have you. And if you haven't already left a rating interview on iTunes, I would love you so much if you did. It would mean the world to me because ratings and reviews are what help spread the word about the show and I would love to expand our community. And if you've already left one, thank you so much. I really, truly appreciate it. All right, that's going to be it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you have an amazing rest of your day. I will chat with you again next time. Bye.